Welcome to another episode of Simply Sales and Marketing. Today we have with us, all the way from Australia, uh, and originally from South Africa, Ricky Pearl. So Ricky is the CEO of Pointer. It's outbound made easy, SDR and BDR recruitment or outsource services, grow without growing pains. Ricky, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You, you say that better than I do. <laughs> Fantastic. So we talked just before we came on air. Um, you started Pointer a year ago. So, so tell us sort of what, what drove you to um, starting your own business. I've always been an entrepreneur and I love business in general. No part of business in particular. I just love starting businesses and solving challenges. Maybe the same way some people love uh, Sudoku you know, or, or any kind of conundrum. When I moved to Australia, I realized that the, the entrepreneurial spirit here isn't quite what it was in South Africa. There wasn't that, that drive. Um, there was, you know, 90% of the people you knew would work for someone else. Whereas in South Africa, it was the opposite. 90% of the people I knew worked for themselves. Uh, I also identified there was a pretty weak sales culture here in general, maybe because they're conflict averse, it's such a polite society, rule abiding society. And I just saw this opportunity that there's so many great businesses here. Um, and when people do step out and become entrepreneurs, they maybe just lack that ability to sell. And I thought if I could help them sell, help them be successful, you know, I could be successful at the same time. So we started the business. That's great going. And so you are, so you offer outsource services, sort of recruitment, SDR, BDR. Um, so, so typically, so what companies are you are you working with? In, is it just in Australia? Are you working with companies further afield? No, all, all over the world. Um, it really doesn't matter where you're in the world these days. It, it's mostly geography or time-based. We specifically hire in countries. So like our reps in the US, prospects in the US, and our reps in Australia are in Australia. And... Uh, because of that, I think we are focused within Australia because a lot of the US companies will look to us for this market, for their APAC market. So we do still tend to specialize here, but we do just as well over in the States. And, and the services are all kind of the same thing. It's companies that are looking to grow. They want that um, that outbound function, but for whatever reason, they might not have the sales maturity or the appetite at that stage to build it in-house. Mm -hmm. And that's why we offered it as an outsourced service. And it's typically that seed series A kind of a stage where maybe there's a new VP of sales and they've got to build their partnership channel. They've got to build a robust sales process. They might be changing off of a, a poor CRM or from Excel onto a proper system. They've got a lot on their plate and they just wouldn't have the capacity to build outbound at the same time. So that's where we came in. And um, some people, though, did want to do it in-house. So we said, all right, well, you can do it in-house. We'll help you hire the SDR and we'll manage them for you. So that's where the three services come came from, either just fully outsourced or a done-with-you model uh, where we'll manage your reps or a DIY model where we'll just hire reps for you and um, give you our program that you can follow. Well, that's, it's, a, it's a great idea. So it's obviously one of the most important things for startups and you know companies of growth. Um, and how does it sit alongside, if at all, uh, an inbound or, or is it the companies, it's a bit too early for them to be focusing on the inbound side of things? Everyone that we're working with are actively trying to build their inbound. Of course, it's a far more long-term sustainable yeah. model that everyone wants to be getting to. It does sometimes just take a lot more time. 
And for immediate impact, they kind of faced with either I can use like paid ads or I can do outbound. Paid ads can be expensive. It's definitely one way to go and it's often very effective. Uh, but sometimes if they're a niche product, maybe um, chartering a new category, things like that, they feel like their, their value for money on outbound would just be better. And they can get more feedback from the market because the product's probably still being actively developed. And yeah. maybe they aren't that refined on their marketing message yet. And all of those things work really well with outbound because you can iterate so quickly. And um, so it's, it's great to have a, an outbound expert here. And, and for those that are starting off, what are the things they should be either thinking about or, or looking at if they want to start outbound for their company? Well, I mean, there's a lot to it. The first thing you've got to look at is, is it going to be a, um, an economical model? And a lot of people get this wrong. They don't necessarily know the, the science, the numbers of the maths of, the, of sales. Um, they might be looking to all of these other startups in the US that are building these big outbound teams and having success and not realizing that they're working to monopoly money. They have a very different mathematical system that they use to value the dollar of a net new dollar in revenue. And it might work for them, but it doesn't work for everyone. So you've got to know, like, is this a good motion just financially? And I think a lot of people even just get it wrong right from the get-go. They shouldn't have even just started with Outbound. I think a second one where people rarely get it wrong mm -hmm. is they, they, they underestimate how hard it is. Yeah. Because when they did Outbound two years ago, before they were now a sales leader, it was easy or easier. You know, you could easily get your emails delivered and you'd have a whatever a five percent response rates to your emails and every hundred people you called 10 might pick up the phone and that's how it was a year ago now they're in a leadership position and it's already dramatically changed and they don't know how to manage for the new environment mm. so that's another one i think they under uh, appreciate how hard it actually is and then the last mistake that people make i feel is um not necessarily finding the right channel for their product. They might be overemphasizing on phone calls or on emails and um, haven't really considered the right channel for them and how to optimize that channel. And um, often they end up then just absolutely burning through their total addressable market, which mm -hmm. is, you know, long-term detrimental. Yeah, that's really interesting about, you know, making that mistake of they overemphasizing phone calls or emails and, you know, optimizing um you know, sort of which channel. I mean, I, I see that, you know, with, with, with sellers in, in certain organizations or they, you know, underutilizing a channel, especially, um, you know, like video outreach as well. Um, I think there's a lot of fear sometimes, isn't there? And, you know, sellers will, will tend to focus on the channel that they prefer, which might often not be the best one. Yeah. And, and a lot of it also becomes supplier driven. You know, we've, I think we've been fed a lot of misinformation when it comes to video prospecting, for example. Um, it's a great tool, but it was oversold by suppliers in how it can be used. And a lot of people then didn't have success with it. So for example, using video in your first email outreach impacts your delivery of that email and is as likely to get a response than if you just wrote a quick email in writing. However, on LinkedIn, video outreach is highly effective. But it hasn't necessarily been, um, you know, taught that way because it's not being taught by operators who are actively using it and measuring results. It's, it's being taught by suppliers who just want you to use it everywhere.
Ah, okay, that's interesting. And what, what, why do you suppose it's more effective to use video on LinkedIn? It's guaranteed delivery. That's the first thing, guaranteed delivery. Um, whereas your email, it's not. If you add links into cold emails, um, images, it changes your HTML ratio. You might have tracking li- links and DNS issues, so it might not be delivered. That's one. Two, um, there's a lot of psychology that LinkedIn has gone through, as do all the social medias, that it absolutely irks you when you have an unread message. You can't leave that little red dot on your app. It bothers you. <laughs> yeah. Whereas I bet you your inbox has like like, like 4,000 unread emails by this stage. Yeah. Right? Like we, it's different. I'm fine to let an email in my promotions folder, updates folder, or even in my inbox. Because by tomorrow it's gone, I'll never see it again. I have to clear my LinkedIn inbox. It bothers me. Is it the, sa- is it the same across um, like it, all of your clients? Or are there some industries where it is slightly different across either oh. the, the channel or the approach that you take? Every industry is different. Every industry, not even just the industry, the persona you're chasing within the industry, the product you're selling within that to that persona, it changes. Construction, for example, is not big on LinkedIn. We've got a lot of construction technology companies. It is uh, out of the, I don't know, couple, however many hundred meetings we've set up for, um, for construction clients, 95% of them have been on the phone. Wow. And where we got a marketing client where 95 would have been via email. They don't yeah. want to talk on the phone. Yeah. So Sounds about it, right. <laughs> it, it's, it really is different. It differs by country. It, it, you know, it's, we don't assume anything, even though we've done this so many times, we still don't assume we know when we move into a new client or a new persona or a new vertical. We still go back to the drawing board and we start our test clean. And we are even surprised how different it is sometimes with the same customer where they're just moving a slightly different region. Wow. Coming on to sort of marketing and sales alignment, um, because that's what we talk about. Uh, You put a post up a few days ago on on LinkedIn. um, It it got a lot of attention. The picture of, you know, SDRs should fall under marketing. And this is something that I'd never really considered myself, but, so the function falls under sales, but the role is at the exact intersection of where sales and marketing align. Talk us through that. So I think statistically about 80% of, the, of departments have the SDR or the BDR under, under sales. Um, but the function of what we do is much closer aligned with marketing. Yes, we are servicing the sales team. We are setting up meetings and making introductions for the sales team. But we're starting with people who are broadly unaware of the solution and we're taking them to aware and interested. Like this is just bang smack within the remit of marketing. The second thing is if it's not working, let's say I'm not succeeding with my outbound. Mm -hmm. What could be wrong? What could be the reason that you're not succeeding? Well, it could be that your messaging is off. Who's responsible for messaging? That's a marketing job. It could be that you're targeting the wrong audience. Who's responsible for building audience uh, and determining audience? Broadly, that's a marketing job. It could be that you're not um, articulating the values well enough for that particular persona. Again, that's a function of marketing. Anything that you want to fix as an SDR in your process, if it's not working, you go back to the marketing team. The only bit that the sales leader might be slightly better at is cold calling and that's only because historically 
it used to be part of the sales function where you were a full cycle salesperson, cold mm-hmm. calling, having the meetings all the way through to close and managing that relationship for the rest of your professional career. I, I, it's really interesting. Um, do you see many that have that set up or is it still the majority that do sit within the sales function? The vast majority still sit within the sales function. Uh, all of our clients, it's slightly different because for all of our clients, we insist we we meet week, weekly with like the head of sales and the head of marketing. And usually it's actually the head of marketing that's driving because very quickly they realize all the questions that we have and all the suggestions we have and all the tweaks we're looking to make fall within the marketer's remit. We see real great results when marketing and sales are aligned through broadly like a revenue channel. You know, either they fall under a chief revenue officer or chief commercial yeah. officer, something along those lines. Um, or they've even incorporated growth into there too, because we play a strong role even within customer success. Yeah. A, a quick one also. We were actually speaking uh, before we went live a bit about um, obviously technology and automation. It's had a, a big impact on you know, sales and marketing generally over the past you know, yeah. 10, 20 years. Do you use a lot of that? How does that fit within um, your business? Absolutely. So, yeah, we do use a lot of automation. I think um, automation is broadly a way to perform a mundane task more efficiently. And anytime you can do something more efficiently, you can maximize outputs and increase the positive outcomes. Automation is also a way to just fuck things up quicker. And whatever you were doing wrong, were you just doing it wrong quicker? You know, like it's me on coffee. It's it's just yeah. more, it's just, it's the same mistakes, just quicker. Right. Yeah. And that's where a lot of people are making mistakes with automation because you can, if you put someone into a formula one car and they aren't a skilled driver, you almost guaranteed to crash it. Yeah. I would crash a Formula One car if you put me in it. No, no doubt about it. If I could even pull off, but besides the points. And it's the same. We've, you've got all of these powerful tools now for automation and you're giving them to people who don't know how to use it. Well, they're going to mess it up. So do I believe in automation? Absolutely. My whole house is a smart house. Everything I can automate, yeah. if it saves me time, makes my life easier, I automate it. However, if I don't know how to do it and I can't do it well and I don't have a good system for measuring the outcomes and, uh, de- you know, defining what it is that I want to do, um, it's really just a way to mess things up. Yeah, it's a really good analogy. Um, I've never thought about it that way. Um, yeah, and another thing is it's also controversial, isn't it? Because there's sort of talk of some people on LinkedIn using automation to get likes um, and engagement um and that's you know we're seeing that what's your take on that so i've got no problem with it it violates linkedin terms and services right um and so there's a lot of reasons to not use it one of them being that there's risk associated with it and that risk might not be worth the reward like i personally could not risk losing my primary profile because it drives so much business towards pointer yeah however um, if I was to set up a new account for like, you know, a new team member or something that had no, wasn't even on LinkedIn before and didn't really care about their LinkedIn profile. Oh, now there's a slightly different risk reward ratio to having that account blocked. Um, so everything just needs to be a, a mature decision, but I have absolutely no problem with someone who's trying to 
finds an unfair advantage. In fact, I don't even think I can say that because I don't even think it's unfair because everyone has access to the same capabilities. Um, I think they're just willing to do it. And if you look at some of the greatest marketing campaigns in history and you'd say like, oh, was it unfair that they got all of those people who were paid performers to be involved to create a appearance of whatever it is? Think of a flash mob. Oh, that wasn't organic. They paid those people yeah. to do that. Yeah. <laughs> like this isn't a, a real life musical. Um, yeah. yeah. Like what's wrong with that? Oh, so they paid those people. So if I want to pay some people to make a post that I, I send out, look like it's um, doing something different. I probably have no problem with that either. Again, wow. and the risk has to be worth the reward. Yeah, of course. And so with, with the use of tools and and technologies, is, again, do you see that as a free-for-all? And, and by that, I mean, is it, you know, within a company, anyone can sign up, use it, you know, sales, no problem, go ahead, marketing, or does there need to be some ownership of that? Uh, it definitely needs to be ownership. And these these broadly sales ops and revenue operations is starting to take such a lead role, um, particularly as you, we move into product-led growth models and we're looking at now how can we um, automate triggers from within the product back to within the support cycle or within the sales cycle for upsells, resells, cross-sells, um, or just to reduce churn. So revenue operations is becoming incredibly important and they need to own all of this. An example is who is responsible for making sure that people in your team, if they're prospecting with emails, are not using spam words or are not sending more than 50 emails a day, or are not violating mm -hmm. general practices that won't get you in the inbox or might burn your domain. Historically, no one's been looking at that. It's not an IT thing because they've configured your emails. It's done. Yeah. Uh, it's not a sales thing because it's a very technical skill. Um, marketing had some scope in how to do that because they've been configuring mail campaigns for a long time, although this is a slightly different take on it. But broadly, no one's owned it for a while. Mm. It, it's a lot harder now, isn't it? You know, if you, you've got a company to um, really manage and own, I guess, your brand. Because with things like social, people using it for social selling, you know, sales go mm. off. And I think they need that. They need the ability to go off. You can't manage every single post that every person writes within your company. Yeah. Um, but perhaps it's framework or guidelines. Yeah, all those things have always been good brand frameworks, guidelines, suggestions. Um, there's a lot of challenges around is your, you know, your staff's LinkedIn profiles yours to use? I mean, it's yeah. never yours. It's, it's, it's theirs, right? But like, um, could you strongly suggest they use it? Would it be upsetting to you if they only used it to run their side hustle and yeah. never promoted your company? There's a lot of that going on. When, when we work with our customers, though, we haven't seen that being a problem. Maybe that's because when we're working with Series A, Series B startups, they are so hungry and everyone is so aligned on the mission. Everyone wants the same thing. And we are just that extension of their team. So even our reps will change their LinkedIn profile to say that they're employed by that company and operate okay. within the guidelines. We'll help them set these guidelines but things like automating in general, like we don't, we haven't used LinkedIn automation for a customer's profile uh, because typically we say to our customers, is it worth it for you? Like, is this something you want to do? It can be done. Here's how it could be done. 
but here's the costs and here's the consequences. Um, most of them don't want that. There's a lot of lead generation agencies that that is their business, just doing LinkedIn. So there's lots of ways to go about all of these challenges, but I really see marketing. This is, this is my vision. Mm-hmm. Tell me if you could foresee this happening. In two years from now, there's a team of three people within a company of, say, 200. Their sole job is to create social sharing content and manage personal branding activities for all 200 members of that team. Ah, yeah, interesting. I mean, we, we definitely see specific roles within those companies for the, you know, shareable content, you know, like sales feed and, and we're aching. Mm-hmm. But to manage every, so you're saying manage everyone's personal branding within the company? Have a program to help manage it. Here's the thing. Social selling is becoming such a big thing and we, we all understand why. Um, now, you've got typically, say, five sellers in your team. Uh, your team maybe is 50 people, five of them are, are on the coal face, and they social selling. What if you could amplify that with 45 other voices, also social selling? They can feed it through to the sales professional when it comes time to facilitate a buying transaction. But if you could enable more of your team to be active socially and uh, create that, that personal brand, It could be incredibly powerful. And I really think a lot of brands are going to start doing that. Now, will these individuals write content for 200 people? Probably not. But will the company say anyone who joins the social selling program will get an additional $500 a month? Um, To be part of the program, you need to post 20 times a month. We will help you build a framework which um, gives you guidelines for how to write, how to build a brand, you know, help them without necessarily controlling them. I think that would be a good spend. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's, a re- it's a really good point. I think we talk about, um, I mean, that area is certainly developing and it's very new. So, you know, how it's going to evolve, we're, you know, not not too sure. But yeah, that's uh, definitely one way it could go. Um, I mean, have you seen we, the, we, like, evangelists has become exactly, a job title? Yeah. yeah, that's right. Interesting. I mean, the, the next question we were going to ask was, you know, what does the future hold for sales and marketing? But I think you, you've probably answered well, it, at least in uh, in one channel there. I think from a, a sales perspective, I think 30 to 40% of the junior sales roles that are currently in existence aren't going to exist very soon. Yeah. Um, I think that's because of um, buying behaviors changing, as well as technologies enabling better facilitation of of buying without the involvement of sales. So definitely 30 to 40% of those sales roles will move closer towards product or closer towards uh, success or closer towards marketing. Wow. That's, uh, that's, that's bold. So that just, just, I'm just going to say that again for anyone, anyone listening, because that may scare some people. I mean, are you suggesting they they should go down a slightly different route or just broaden their experience? Because again, you say 30 to 40% of junior sales roles you don't think will exist in, in the future. Yeah. And I don't think that's a very distant future as well. I don't, I don't mean to be ominous. I just the rate of technology development and the rate of change of consumer behavior. Um, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of B two B transactioning transactions happening without salespeople. When salespeople wow. do get involved, it will be based on you know observable behavior within the product. Yeah. Um, you will need fewer sales professionals to be able to do that. 
um, you're always going to need salespeople. But that junior, that that real junior role, I think a lot of that is, yeah, this technology is every day testing the boundaries of can this be automated? Can we use a GPT-3 or some kind of, you know, let me, I don't like to use the word AI because I don't really mm-hmm. understand what it means. But can we use some kind of AI to write an email and send it out to an audience that has been automatically um, identified based on some of their behaviors and send a perfectly worded email. Well, currently there's a million people employed in this world to just do that. Yeah. Yeah. And that is on the brink of being automated. I don't think it's quite there yet, but I couldn't imagine it not being there um, in a, in a couple of years. Yeah. Super exciting. And that's of all the guests we've had on, no one's actually said that 30 to 40% of junior role sales roles won't exist. And that will sort of fall more to product success and marketing. So, ooh, really exciting stuff. And I'm saying this as a, I mean, again, am I a seller or am I a marketer? I don't mm-hmm. really know. But um, <laughs> yeah, broadly innovation um, will be better for society. But um, you know, everyone should be looking at what are the additional skill sets they need to thrive in the workforce you know if they want to be in it for the next 40 years yeah Yeah, absolutely and definitely as a seller you know sellers need to be good at copywriting they need to be good at personal branding they need to take on more of the role of marketing and really understand um sort of the dynamics there absolutely great well we always finish with one tip takeaway tip that you have ricky for our audience so over to you wow i probably should have prepared better for this i've got so many (laughs) tips um (laughs) let let me think of just one um my one tip would be this take everything that you see on linkedin as a seller take everything that you see in your inbox from people trying to sell to you and do something different because if you just look the same as everyone else, you are just falling into the gray where everyone else exists. Just be different. Yeah, I good advice. That. Fantastic. And where can people find you, Ricky? Uh, they can find me at pointerstrategy.com.au, uh, ricky at pointerstrategy.com.au, or get me on LinkedIn. Fantastic. I will always, I will always accept the connection request because I am not um, afraid of being pitched. I enjoy it. Send me your best pitch slap. Send me your best pitch slap. <laughs> there you That's go. We talk about not pitch. Yeah, we talk about not pitch slapping so much, don't we, on LinkedIn? Oh, yeah. Honestly, the wor- even worse than that is the slow pitch. Could you imagine? Hi, Charlotte. How are you? Yeah. Oh, oh my don't. God. Oh, now I have to talk to this person for five minutes until they get to their pitch. <laughs> That's the worst. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I love answering. I'm getting a lot more cold calls now, and I love answering the cold calls because obviously I cold call, so... And I was like, can I give you some feedback? Yeah. <laughs> don't say hi, a... how are you? <laughs> well, I don't know. I believe, I've heard in, in like France, maybe even in Spain, that's a requirement if you don't uh, consider you rude. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, if I like getting cold call. If I hear a great one, I always say, is this call being recorded? <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, okay. <laughs> offer them a job. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, thanks to all our listeners. It's been a great episode. Um, Don't forget to give us a rating, leave us a review, and we'll see you on the next show.